podcast one production. I'm Charles Fairley and for 30 years I've worked for big media companies like the Nine Network, Sony Music, AAP and Win Television. And I started Unsung Business Heroes because I wanted to give small business owners a voice. Many of those small business owners that I met through my work, but also because my dad was a business owner. And so helping small business and marketing and getting to know the motivation behind business is part of my life. One thing that gave me the idea for this concept was that my dad had actually been interviewed in a book about 15 years ago and he was a boat builder as I mentioned up on the central coast and uh, you know he had 35 staff and uh, worked long hours you know he's there Saturdays and Sundays and um, I just realized that when he was coming to retirement where was all the record of of his achievements and his accomplishments and how could I tell my grandchildren about it when he was no longer around and so I really wanted to record all that information and create a little documentary about his life if you like so I, I think that really motivated me to go out and see other people in the similar situations. Small business never gets a voice. It's always the big guys that get exposed in the mainstream media. That's changing now a lot with social media, of course. But what I wanted to do was give the guy and girl who had an important message, airtime, I guess, to share their knowledge with other people who are starting out in business. And, you know, there's no point reinventing the wheel when people have been through the same challenges. Why not share the knowledge and help each other? Jared Maloof is probably one of the better known people that we've interviewed because he's doing a lot of radio and TV advertising. So you look at his persona in those ads and he's this super confident, rock solid, superstar sort of character. So for me, sitting down with Jared was a real treat. Um, he showed his softer underside, if you like, and revealed lots of interesting insights about his family and talked about how important it was that his, his staff love the clients. Again, that's the focus for him is that the client must come first. It's the client experience that will dictate the success of his business. People want to share and, and engage with us on a totally different level to what I expected. And Jared was similar. You know, he told us a story about his dad uh, when Jared was about eight and his father looked at him and started uh, getting very emotional with him and said, look, I just want you to do the absolute best you possibly can. doesn't matter what you do, but if you do your best, that's all I ask. For me, that was a real eye-opener in that these big, tough business people can also have the real soft underside when they want to share those sort of stories. And that's what engages and connects with people too. We interviewed Jared at his office in Parramatta in Sydney, in his boardroom. Uh, he has about 100 staff and um, you know he's been in business over 20 years now, so he's got a great story. I believe very much in my family's history, which is unique. I am of Arabic or Lebanese background, but not many people realise that my family immigrated to Australia 134 years ago in 1887. It's a remarkable feat. Um, and they came to Australia and didn't just come to Sydney, but they went to the top of Australia, Normanton, in the Gulf of Carpentaria. And I think my work ethic, my drive, my commitment to people has a great deal to do with this family that emigrated from Lebanon because they were being terrorised by the Turks at the time. They are Christian Lebanese and of course it was very much a Muslim entity but living there in the Middle East and they couldn't practice their religion. 
So they decided to emigrate. Um, and in so doing, they wanted to achieve a great future for their family. And uh, I believe they achieved that without doubt. My grandfather, it's not a great grandfather, my grandfather, uh, he came here, he decided that Australia was good. The story goes that he was thinking he was going to America, A for America, but he turns out A for Australia, whether it's true or not. But he was a tough boy, he was only about five foot high, he was about six foot wide, and he ran a pub in the Gulf of Carpentaria at the turn of the, well, I suppose, the 20th century. Uh, before that, of course, he was a hawker like all migrants. And his wife, a delicate flower, had eight children and uh, decided that those children needed an education. So the remarkable feat that they achieved having emigrated to Australia was to have eight children and to educate these children particularly well. Three became doctors and specialists my father and his two brothers. And um, I think that the stories I was told are just extraordinary where they were sent off for two to three years at a time to go to boarding school and uh, they wanted to excel and they had that migrant, you know, exceptional ethic that they had to do well to prove to their family they could do it. And uh, they worked together and they based themselves in Sydney. In fact, they based themselves in Parramatta and uh, they were very well known in the 40s, 50s, 60s and 70s, right through to the 80s, and unfortunately, time has uh, caught up with them and they've all passed on. Of course, but isn't that interesting that the, yeah. even back generations, there were yeah. professional services and serving people and serving the community? Absolutely, absolutely. They were police medical officers for the Western Sydney region. Wow. They were well known and they gave not just five days a week, it was a seven day a week job and commitment to not just Australian community, but all the migrant communities, yep. Maltese, the Asians, um, Vietnamese, Greeks, Italian. Uh, Greeks, Italian. Mm. And it was this beautiful background that I grew up with knowing so many different cultures, realizing that uh, my family had worked hard to achieve everything that they had acquired and knowing that it's a service to the community that is really making them happy and, and gave me the impetus to get into law and do similarly. Yeah. And obviously you're motivated by helping people now with your business. Coming from a migrant family, that's one issue. But having a father that was a doctor, with whom I used to go daily to the hospitals to do his calls and his late night visits, I used to sit in the car like a little boy and he'd come out, he'd give me a few sandwiches and say, um, thanks for sitting in the car. One day, and he's no longer around, he cried. He looked at me and he cried. I said, Dad, what's wrong? He says, all I ever want for you is that you use your ability to the best that you can possibly do. I'll never forget that moment. I'll never forget that moment because I was probably eight years old. And I said, this is my father crying. And that instilled in me something, a power, a belief, a drive, something so incredible that I'll never forget. I can only suspect he had a tragedy with one of his patients because he wouldn't talk about it because he wouldn't want to upset me but I suspect that happened that day and he was emotional. And that empathy that he showed is something that instilled in me the same empathy that I want to have for my client base. But the primary thing is to uh, get ahead in life. I realise because of my background, because of what drove my family is to excel. 
and to use the best qualities that you've got in an exceptional way to achieve the best you can and so that you're proud of yourself, what your family's given you. It makes me very emotional to talk about it because in many ways I try to instill the same with my children. But not only my children, I instill it hopefully in all of my staff. And I don't call them staff, I call them family of lawyers and family of staff, I suppose, secretaries, juniors. There's a total equality in our business. No one is looked at as being high or low. And in fact, I absolutely hate that sort of system where there is any type of class structure within a business. Um, to me, each and every person is so important. I try to instill in my staff that your client is not just a client, they're, they're an individual that have come to you for help, for assistance, that often are in a lower socio-economic uh, stage or category. I mean, let's face it, legal costs are just extraordinarily expensive. Our system is poor. I have, I'm, I'm totally uh, upset about the whole system, basically the legal system. How can anyone afford justice in Australia? I like to fight for the underdog, and that's a terrible word, but I think I'd like to describe it that way. No one could afford to spend 10 to 50 or $100,000 on a legal case. And it's drawn me inextricably into this area because I know that we can get justice for people. We can actually, we can actually take a person and their family and change their lives and win not just money, but win their, uh, win their respect back, win their life back. I mean, to me, that's a very worthwhile thing to do. Self-esteem. And the self-esteem, absolutely. And if I can do that for anyone at any time, that makes me very satisfied. And as I say, to try and get our staff to learn that. I mean, I can have the smartest lawyers come here and I'm happily, happy to say that I don't take them on. That doesn't denigrate the lawyers I've got. Because just because they're smart and brilliant doesn't mean to say that they're going to have that compassion, that commitment, that love. And I use the word love with every new lawyer that starts with us, with every member of staff, secretary or junior. You've got to love the person that comes through that door because you show love and you'll get their trust, you get their respect, but you have to do likewise. And you'll always have a great business because that's the key to success. Yeah. You've got to be authentic, transparent and honest, don't you, these days? And yeah. things that you've got, obviously got from your parents, your mum and dad. Absolutely. I'm yeah. sure they'd be very proud of what you've achieved. Well, uh, they, they probably are, but there's a little problem with having parents and family that I've had. Probably not enough, uh, whatever you do, I beg your pardon, may not be quite enough. And even still at my age, 60 and over, I mean, my mother still says, can you do better for people? Can you do better for yourself? Can you do better for your family? And it makes you question it. So I suppose one key aspect of running a business and making sure it's great is never sitting on your laurels. In fact, you have to reinvent yourself and you do it not just every few years, you must keep abreast of every development and be in advance of any developments that are happening. And they happen in our modern day and age. Trust me, with the digital age, it happens monthly. Was there something in the past where there was a turning point for you where, say, you went from being a law student or a young law intern to starting your own business? What yes. On there? Something that... I joined a brother, an elder brother, in his practice for a few years. One day he said, you're not doing anything. You don't seem to be going anywhere. You haven't got the passion. You haven't got the drive. You don't even seem to be committed to what you're doing. He says, unless you commit, unless you sweat blood, 
Unless you're going to put in the effort, you'll never appreciate what you're good at. And I thank him very much for that advice because then I realised it was a turning point. I said, well, Jesus, I better start to get serious about what I'm doing. And I developed an expertise in a particular area, personal injury, compensation, will disputes. And I started to say, well, it's not such a bad area. I started to like it because I knew I was good at it. And when you become good at something and really good, you start to think of yourself in a different light. You think, well, maybe I do like this area. Maybe I'm going to be very happy. And strangely enough, I'm absolutely delighted some 35 years on. If you've been successful in business, and apparently we are, although I never think that way, because we've won billions of dollars for the community, you have to give back. I mean, there's no question. It's not should, may, you have to. Because your definition, and any definition of success in life, is not what you make and what you take out. It's what you give back. And you better give back something, and if you make plenty by being successful, you give back plenty. Um, our firm likes to help charities, we like to help hospitals, and we also like to help surf life-saving life associations. But, you know, it's endemic and it's incumbent upon all of us that we must give back. And obviously that leads into what sort of legacy you're leaving. What sort of legacy do you want the business to, to represent if you're thinking along those lines? Well, I hope that the legacy is exactly what we're generating and creating at the moment. It's to be utterly and brutally honest, aggressive, motivated, personal injury and will dispute lawyers that are so successful in achieving justice, and not just justice, but maximum justice for our clients that are very deserving, and that that continues on is my great aim for all my staff, for my children, and for the community. What tells you you've been successful? How do you measure success? Well, the uh, people often use the yardstick of monetary um, gain as a yardstick, and, and in many ways, that's a logical way to use uh, or define something. Um, but success should be defined much more broadly. It has to involve job satisfaction. It has to involve what commitment and what benefit you're giving back to society. And indeed, that's the key to success, giving back. Being able to, I suppose, become well known and also uh, as a brand name, people say that, oh yes, I've heard of you, we know that you've done many different cases, that you've achieved justice. That, that's the success that I like to hear about and that we can continue to do that into the future. someone just starting out in business today in a, in a general sense, yeah. what advice would you give them? Well, firstly, if you've got something to sell, it better be something that's highly specialised and you're very good at doing it. Yep. So you want to have a good product to start with or a specialty area of knowledge. And if you don't, you better acquire it because you, you've got to have something. Secondly, now that you've got a product to sell or a specialty knowledge, you need to market it because you, you've got a, a lot of competition out there and we use marketing to a great advantage. And people often say, well, gee, you spend a lot on marketing, gee, you do that. If I didn't use, um, you know, realistic uh, marketing ranging from yellow pages through to uh, digital platforms, through to videos, 
then our, our brilliance, our expertise wouldn't get out to the marketplace. So you need, you need to have some marketing in place and, and sensible, rational marketing. And don't be afraid to spend on it, but you have to do testing on your marketing and the testing to determine what is working, what's not. So that's critical. So once you've got a great product, great service, marketing is important. The third point is once you get a business, your service is the most critical aspect, client care. Now, my firm, unlike any other law firm I know, we have a dedicated team of client care people, four people full-time looking after clients. Now, that's an expense, but my goodness, if you keep those clients happy, if you ring them and saying you've got problems, did you understand the letter that was sent to you, they will be so grateful and they will generate so much work for you long term. Word of mouth, referrals. referrals. So you've got your marketing, you've got your client care, you've got your product or service. And then once you've got that, don't be afraid to reinvent yourself by standing back every few months and say, what am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? What can I do better? What can I do better is the key. And then don't assume, as I mentioned before, that you've been doing the same thing for a while that it's right. Never assume, start from scratch and then work out how you can do something better for your client and for yourself and then sell it to them. By the way, you are a salesperson, sell it. Many lawyers, many people aren't salespeople naturally, but you're gonna have to acquire those skills. So they're the keys that I'd use to be successful in business. Yep. A smile goes a long way, hello, politeness. I mean, these are the things that people want to hear. That's what it's all about. And if you're not doing well, and you feel that something's wrong, then reassess everything. Start from scratch. It may be staff that aren't doing the right thing by you. And also have what's called um, good accounting software, marketing software. Use all of these benefits that are in the marketplace now. And do you have a support team outside of the business for yourself? Absolutely. And guess what? I'm as tough on them as I am on the other side. I'm very demanding. Don't ever take on contractors and say you're doing a great job and then leave them for a year. Whatever they are doing, if it's marketing, if it's doing some work for you or whatever, always ask them to provide some type of schedule as to what they're up to, how they're changing things, how they can improve. Ask them. They'll be grateful for the input from you. How hands-on are you now with your business? Are you still doing what you started out doing? or is Not at all. The role changed? Not at all, no. My role's totally different. I started out running every case, seeing every client, and making them want to love me and me love them. And that's how I built the business. And I'm sad I'm not in that direct role because we run thousands of cases each year. But one thing I do watch is I watch every matter that's opened electronically. I get every email about any new client seen, whether they were converted, what their problem was, whether we satisfied them. And if I see that we did not make that client or new client happy in any way, then I want to know an answer in writing from each member of staff. I can assure you I'm very hands-on with what's happening daily. I get reports on so many things, but when you have over 100 staff, or I think it's almost 100, I'm not sure exactly, it depends who's sick or not, um, as we all know, um, and particularly in winter. So the fact is, I watch it very carefully, day and night, 
because it's no longer a business. This is a, this is a fascinating lifestyle. Yes, I've made money out of it. I've done very well. And so do the staff and all of us. But that's not the driving force. Money, if you're here to make money, you're not a person that should be in my business. You should come for the commitment, the compassion, and the professionalism you can give to our deserving clients. That's what it's all about. The money will come, absolutely. The business will flow from that. You'll have so much work. If you're a little bit smart about your marketing, you'll have so much work. And you have to always, of course, specialise in what you're good at, not what you think you might be good at or what you could be good at if you only put the extra effort in. Because I can assure you, I had one gentleman um, who was not necessarily a mentor, but he gave me the best business advice I've ever received. And I'd like to share that with you. That business advice was uh, from a fellow called uh, Dick Smith, who I'm sure you all know, and is a clever a businessman, but also a very, very much an Australian supporter of our national pride, our business ethics, and our people. I worked for him in 1984. All right. Uh, well, you probably know what I'm going to say. I said to him once, because I was lucky enough to have a lunch with him, and I said, I was a young fellow, I was about 26, and I said, you know, he was probably worth, you know, I can't imagine how much he was worth then, but he's worth a lot more now. now. But um, he did say, I said, how did you make your money being very cheeky? And what is your key to success? And uh, he said something along the following lines. He said, Jared, um, if I could give you any knowledge today or any advice, he said, I have a business and that business sells widgets. And I know I sell this type of widget for this amount of profit and I sell another one for a lot less profit. And then I analyzed how hard is it for me to sell the widget that makes the most profit? And then I worked out that to sell the widget with the least profit is a lot more difficult, takes a lot more time, a lot more effort. And he says, I see so many people trying to make a profit in business, in life, it could be applied to anything, out of the most difficult areas for the least return. He said, why not try and concentrate on the areas that give you the best return? And his advice was exceptional and you can apply it to anything. Absolutely. Thinking outside of just the legal yeah. profession, yes. what generally, um, in terms of business advice, would you give to someone who's starting out in business per se? You know, I get asked that rather frequently. I'm going to say something that's probably not politically correct, but people nowadays, particularly young, think that things are going to happen and fall in their lap. The digital age. They just think it's going to happen, and it's got to happen quickly because, oh, my iPhone reacts so quickly, I can search and think, well, wake up. Wake up, young person. It doesn't happen quickly. We're not an overnight success. Yes, there are going to be people that will be, but 99% of people aren't. So you've got to find an area that you probably like. And what hurts me is that people say, oh, I've spent three months doing something and I don't like it. Well, let me tell you, that three months is nothing. You've trained for something, go and spend a couple of years, and within that area, find something that you find that's interesting, and then start to develop your expertise. Because I tell you, once you develop an expertise in something, you'd be surprised how much you start to enjoy it. And then you become recognised. And then you work out that, hey, I can do this better than just about anyone else. And I'm going to then uh, develop this area more and more. And for some reason, and somehow, you start to learn that you can massage that area that you've specialised in, far more so than other people. You become recognised, as I mentioned, and it becomes a very profitable area if you wish to develop a business along those lines. 
But you have to keep at it and you have to be not just passionate, you have to sweat. And I mean sweat blood. People think, what's that expression? You've got to sweat blood if you want to be successful. Obviously, your, yeah. your personal brand, you've used your name in the business, so you didn't call it Parramatta Lawyers or whatever. That's important, do you think, to connect with clients? Because that's a differentiation between you and your competition, isn't yeah. it? The big thing is, and I'm very proud of this, it's not an ego thing. It was me, it's my name, it's my reputation, and anyone that comes to my practice, and we have thousands, many, many thousands of clients. They can speak to me, they know that I'm on the letterhead, along with a lot of good lawyers and great lawyers and good managers and uh, also senior associates and managing directors, but I am the person that's there and it's a personalization of the business. For those people, they can contact me anytime and that's the most important thing I can say about having the name there, that I am there, it's not some practice with thousands of partners and different names. We've been around 35 years and I intend to be here for a lot longer. You must be very pleased with the, yeah. the way it's gone. Could you imagine it being so successful if you cast your mind back 30 odd years ago to today? Well, Charles, you might find this strange as well to, for me to say that I don't find it successful. I don't ever gloat about it. I never think about it. I just think how I can improve, how I can develop it better, serve clients better, help them achieve justice. A justice is so critical to the motives of my business and my staff. We want to see people not just get justice, but maximum justice quickly. I'm sick and tired of law firms, lawyers promoting themselves, suggesting that they can achieve X, Y and y results. But in the end, they're no different to anyone else, but we are. And I like to think egotistically or not, that we are better than anyone else. And I never sit back and think that I've done well. Because to do that, I'd have to stand still and I'm not good at standing still. Because I won't be satisfied. You asked about job satisfaction, that's what is job satisfaction. Making sure you achieve what you set out to do and um, pushing hard and not just pushing a little bit, pushing everyone around you. Because these people only have one opportunity. They don't have access to justice daily. They have one opportunity in their life generally and this is, this is it. We have to make sure it happens. And other law firms, I don't believe, and I can't imagine they have that commitment. They, they, they have obligations to their bank manager, they have obligations to their shareholders. Some are public companies, these law firms. We have obligations only to one person, our client. And I'm lucky enough to not have any debts. I'm lucky enough not to have any financial worries. I can run a case, I can lose. I can do whatever we like, subject to client instruction, but I want to win for our client. So I'm not guided by principles of am I going to make money out of this because it's no win, no fee. That's the last thing on my mind. Whereas other firms, I'm pretty sure they're thinking about their fees. I'm not. I guess talking to Jared about his dad made me think about my son and how influential I am on shaping my family. And it just made me realise how important that influence is. And it's something that children remember for the rest of their lives like Jared who was relating it to us from when he was eight years old and for me with my two teenagers I just feel so privileged to be able to have an impact on their lives but also on the flip side I feel not pressure but I feel like it's a really important role and something that I can't take too lightly. If you enjoyed that story you should really listen to our story with Corinne Bott who owns a company called Polyglot 
And Corinne has a different approach to business because she adds humanity into every business transaction. She's dealing with people, so she wants to have that human touch. So her story is fascinating. Unsung Business Heroes was presented by me, Charles Fairley, in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. The executive producer was Jenny Goggin. If you'd like to see the videos of my interviews with these unsung business heroes, go to unsungbusinessheroes.com.au. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au. Download the Podcast One app or search for Unsung Business Heroes on iTunes.